Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Each episode, I'll bring on some experts, we'll talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Beth Arrett, an association evangelist with over 25 years experience in marketing and member engagement, and I'm so happy you're here. Now let's start the show. I am here with Hans Weikart from the Educational Theater Association. So how you doing, Hans? Hey, Beth. I'm well. How about yourself? Thanks for having me today. Thanks. It's great to have you here. So why don't you, um, if you don't mind, start out by telling us a little bit about the Educational Theater Association and your members. The Educational Theater Association was founded in 1929. We actually started as the Thespian Society, the National Thespian Society. It was a honor society for students in theater. Uh, originally started as an honor society for college students. And then within the first year, the founders decided that they should do high school as well. And it wasn't until about 34 five years ago that the organization wanted to do more for teachers. So they rebranded and became the Educational Theater Association, home of the International Thespian Society. So we really have two identities. One is the Professional Association for Theater Teachers, uh, primarily in grades six through eight, but we support K through 12, or sorry, six through 12, but we do support uh, K through 12. And then we're also the International Honor Society for students in grades six through 12. And then about six years ago, we developed the Educational Theater Foundation, which is our fundraising arm of the organization. Uh, We're in all 50 US states and 13 countries around the world. Two and a half million people have been inducted into the Honor Society since our founding 93 years ago. And uh, we currently have Post-pandemic, smaller numbers, as I'm sure every association out there uh, is experiencing these days. Uh, We went from about 130,000 active student members at any one time. Uh, We're down to about 65,000 active student members right now. Uh, And that's our association in a nutshell. Um, So you did talk about the uh, changes in membership in the pandemic, but, you know, I'm sure funding for the arts was a challenge space even before the pandemic. So I can imagine that across the board, not just with your membership, that that has drastically increased the challenges. Yeah. Arts funding uh, in general is always uh, under constant threat. Um, Typically when times get tough, it is the first thing to get cut. So uh, our theater teachers uh, typically are are one-person shows. They're the only theater teacher at the school. Usually there's several math teachers, several English teachers, um, but there's usually only one theater teacher. So they work on their own. They're responsible typically for their own funding, their own fundraising. They usually get very little from their school or from their district. So they typically self-support their programs through box office proceeds of the shows that they do. And just as you alluded to in the question itself, uh, with live events uh, being put on hold during the pandemic, uh, theater programs saw their funding disappear like that. And uh, they really struggled to, to find ways to fund their programs. And most uh, student memberships are funded also through those, those revenues that come from their shows and come from their fundraising. So, yeah, it's been particularly challenging and uh, just really working hard to, through our Educational Theater Foundation, uh, find ways and programs to uh, raise funds to sustain those theater programs. The question is then, is it despite these challenges or maybe because of them 
that your association has still stayed strong despite the loss of membership? Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of both, both and. Uh, really popular terminology in our association, and I'm sure uh, many other associations watching this right now uh, deal with that same verbiage and that same language. It really is a both and. You know, I think we've we've done well for ourselves because of the honor society component. So there's certainly a lot of schools that don't want to see their honor societies go away. Um, it's helpful for students when they go off to college and have on their applications. There's also a lot of history and legacy. So there are troops, you know, troop number one uh, from Natrona County High School in Casper, Wyoming. I love that you they, know that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to know troop number one. You know, they don't want to lose that troop number. So they continue to renew every single year. And even when times get tough, they're they're still renewing because they want to keep that legacy. So there's certainly a balance of teachers wanting to maintain their programs, wanting to maintain their honor societies. Um, but then there really are those communities that value theater education and it'll, you'll never see it go away um, because they get it. They're drinking that Kool-Aid uh, and we'll see them forever and ever. There's so, so many of the longstanding associations, so many of the ones that have lasted that long are the same. It's that same thing. It's that mix of Kool-Aid that they just, that's how they survive. That's how they thrive. Yeah. So speaking of things that are strong components of associations, advocacy, you know, that's a strong yeah. component of most of them. So when it comes to issues that need advocacy, um, are you telling your members about the issues or are they coming back and telling you? Both and. That, <laughs> both uh, and. Both and. <laughs> I'm setting both a, theme. And. I'm a theme for today. <laughs> Right, right, right. That'll be the title of this podcast. It's just both and. Right? <laughs> yeah, we've had we've had an advocacy leadership network, which is a volunteer led committee of members uh, that are primarily responsible for the different advocacy efforts. And we've had a, a longtime staff member who has led those. Um, his name is Jim Palmarini. And, and this man has been at, at the table, at every important table to be at for the last 20 plus years, uh, making sure that he's working at the federal level, the local level, the state level, um, and then uh, working with our members to develop strong advocates and really creating that self-sustaining advocacy program. We don't have paid lobbyists in our association. That is something we have talked about, we have thought about. But certainly the issues uh, that are most important to our members are federal, state, and local funding for the arts. Really, the, the term that has been used lately is STEM and STEAM, uh, STEM being science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And we advocate for STEAM. And that's adding the A in there and adding the arts, uh, because certainly if you don't have that A, you don't have that create creativity. We as humans are left brain, right brain people. I don't care whether you're stronger in one or the other. You got both. Uh, in order to be good at mathematics and technology, you've also got to be creative. And the arts do that. So uh, we've really worked on advocating uh, for STEAM education over the years. And certainly in the last two years, social emotional learning, SEL, and mental health has become a critical, uh, critical component of high school and middle school education, especially here in the U.S. 
And as we deal with the pandemic and uh, cultural issues um, that pertain to Black Lives Matter, our Indigenous peoples, our First Nations in Canada, um, you know, those, those critical race issues, um, that social emotional learning component and being able to learn about the world around us through the stories that theater education provides has been critically important. So, so those are the issues that we focus on now and those are the issues that uh, again, back to your question, our members are bringing to us, but we are also seeing uh, through our members and through the field. And then we'll, just one final button on the issue, you know, right now uh, we have what, what we call our educational gag orders, which are bills, live bills, legislative bills in, in state legislators or state legislatures across the country that are restricting uh, what teachers can and cannot teach in the classroom. These are uh, grassroots parent advocacy groups that, uh, you know, want to control public education and want to control what their students are learning in the classroom. Um, and so you'll hear about that in mainstream media from book bans um, all the way across the spectrum to holding teachers criminally liable for what they teach in the classroom. And so that is obviously very important to our teachers, our members specifically. Going back to your earlier point about arts being necessary for, particularly for the advancement of the technology side, because if you can't think and dream and be creative, then how are you going to dream and advance technology? I grew up very heavily on the art side um, mm -hmm. of things with just, you know, theater and um, band, marching band, everything else, dance, mm -hmm. all of that. And I think that creativity is one of the things that's helped me be so successful in coming up with creative ways to help the associations I've worked for and then now help a lot of associations um, yeah. because it's hard to have just one or just the other. It's like you're missing a piece. And Beth, I mean, I'm glad you bring that up because a lot of people will refer to some of those things as soft skills. And our soapbox and our platform right now is there's nothing soft about those. Those are critical life skills. Critical um, thinking skills are, are not just technology. They're not just mathematics. Right. Critical thinking skills involve creativity, particularly right. in a world that's changing as much as this one is right now. Well, and in an era where civility is and has really gone downhill, out the window, dead. Learning how to be an empathetic individual is more important now than ever. And one of my favorite champions of those empathy skills learned through theater is our current U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and former Supreme Court Justice nominee by President Barack Obama. He was a theater student in high school, and he has said before that what has made him a successful trial lawyer and a successful judge and fair uh, lawyer and fair judge was going through theater and telling the stories and literally stepping into the shoes and the roles of other people, characters, stories that uh, he never would have known through his own upbringing. And that made him a greater empathetic individual. And now he sits as the, the top lawyer in the country. So those are great examples of why those skills are critical and not soft and not negotiable. We could talk about that all day. And that kind of brings us to, we're both very passionate about that whole, the whole thing and about arts and how important it is. But we know there are different levels of engagement and enthusiasm for just yeah. about anything. So how do you identify those members like this who and approach them, who are kind of on fire for this effort, you know, who are in agreement, in agreement with it and who just want to 
go after it? And then how yeah. do you sort of work with the ones who just want to kind of stay neutral and are like, you know, leave me out of it. What does that look yeah. like from a segmenting um, and a campaign perspective? Yeah, it's tough. You know, again, speaking to all my association colleagues out there watching this podcast and listening to this podcast, I mean, there are articles after articles, presentations, keynotes after keynotes about member burnout right now, um, volunteer engagement and volunteer burnout. And certainly our theater teachers are experiencing this to the nth degree um, where they're exhausted. I mean, education, we see it teachers across the board. Uh, struggling with hybrid learning, in-person learning, virtual learning, back and forth and masks and vaccines and testing and students being out and theater teachers are trying to put on plays and shows. So when a normal teacher's day ends at, you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, the theater teacher continues to go until nine, 10 o'clock at night with rehearsals and productions. So what we're seeing is we're seeing that engagement level decrease, but the passion uh, for the the need and the purpose to advocate and fight for what our members need the most is not. So, so we have to balance that. We have to balance in terms of what we can ask our members to do and what we can expect our members to do. Thankfully, we've got an incredibly passionate member base of advocates that plan local state Capitol Hill visits where they go to their state legislature um, and they will visit with their Congress, um, their Congress people. I was, <laughs> I said that very funny, their Congress, their Congress people, um, their senators, their legislatures uh, to talk about the importance of the arts. But most importantly, the secret sauce that we found in our organization, and let me say this directly to any organization out there that involves student members utilize your student members. When we go to Capitol Hill, whether that's in Washington, D.C. or Sacramento or whatever other state capital you are in, if you walk into the office and you've got a group of students with you and you're an adult, uh, if I walk in with a group of students, that congressperson, that legislature, that legislator, that senator um, ignores me. It doesn't matter what I say. They want to hear the students. So the secret sauce that we found is getting your student members involved because that's where the rubber meets the road and that's where the impact is. And that's where you truly see the the results of whatever action is being taken on, on the Capitol floor um, with laws and, and legislation. So uh, we involve our students. We have a really passionate group of student leaders um, internationally, state and locally. And uh, actually, tomorrow marks day one of what we call TIAS, which is Theater in Our Schools Month. And that is our big month-long advocacy uh, month of the year um, where we talk about the different facts and talk about the importance of theater education um, and really push our advocacy efforts to the extreme from getting proclamations to say today is theater in our schools day uh, in Arkansas to actually putting on an event where people go to the, the Hill and meet with their representatives. Uh, engaging all member Again, back to your question, that was really long-winded. I'm a theater person. That's going to happen. Um, but getting back to the question. Right there with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's it's um, using those who are passionate, um, not overtaxing those who can't, 
supporting it from a staff perspective um, and really making sure that you provide all the resources from social media to uh, press and letter template toolkits um, on your website and through your community. We use Higher Logic Community. We've got an incredibly active and robust community with more than 16,000 active members. We've had postings. Uh, we've had at least one posting every single day for the entire history that we've utilized our Higher Logic community. And that's a major success. And that that is grassroots advocacy work right there through our, our member community platform. I'm actually kind of divided right now on which way I want to go with questions because I yeah. have two. So I'm going to take a quick sidetrack because I want to talk more about the grassroots. Yeah. But I want to take a quick sidetrack. How do you get those student members involved? Because that's a question I hear all the mm. time when I'm talking to community people. We can't get our students involved. Our, you know, our student members just don't want to get involved in the community. How do you get them involved? You know, I, I I think we're we are a little unique in that theater students are a very tight knit, passionate group um, community, right? Theater students are typically they've come to theater because they've been rejected from other areas. They've felt like they don't fit in elsewhere, but theater is that all-encompassing, all-accepting community that, that brings in anybody. So, so we have that going for us. I'll go back to another example of engaged and passionate students, the Parkland shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida, you know, several years ago. Several uh, students that well, one of the students, I, I think it was 17, um, that lost their lives that day. Now, one of them was a theater student. And when the rallies, the March for Our Lives movement, uh, when you saw the, the town hall on CNN, you saw those students. Many of those students were theater students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. That group, and again, there is a perfect example of the empathy, the public speaking, all of the skills that need to go and play to make a movement happen, to rally their peers together, that was it. So, you know, our membership structure is set up in a way that it already unifies the groups because we're troops. Uh, a school has a troop and the students are members of that troop. So they're already a tight knit group. And then you start bonding those together and sort of exponentially they grow and they become a passionate group. We also uh, have really worked the last couple of years to unify the student leadership programs or connect the student leadership programs. We have a group of international thespian officers, which is a small group of six um, that are elected by their peers at our international festival every year. And then each chapter, which for us primarily are state and provincial-based organizations, state being here in the States and provincial up in Canada, um, we have uh, state thespian officers or provincial thespian officers. And then each troop has their own group of student leaders, troop thespian officers, so president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, social media coordinator, advocacy chair. And so by putting structure around student leadership programs, I think that has helped and enabled us to have a stronger body of students that can unify and rally around a common issue that is important to the organization. So you talked about the some of the efforts that Parkland shooting and um, yeah. some of the grassroots efforts that they put together. Mm -hmm. What is it? And then you talked about having the students on the um, the Hill Day, things like that. Mm -hmm. What is it that makes a grassroots effort like that so much more effective than other approaches to get people to take an action, like, for example, lobbyists? I'm going to say uh, the thing that I 
try to talk about the most when I am speaking at events, whether it be festivals, theater festivals or not. Um, What theater is, is storytelling. Storytelling is the oldest art form that we have as human beings. We've been telling stories. A lot of people think that the origins of theater, the origins of maybe modern theater come from ancient Greece. Sure. But we've been telling stories since we were in caves, since we were roaming the plains uh, long before uh, civilization in Greece. And every culture on every continent Every corner of the world has told stories. And to reference one of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou, people will uh, forget what you, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember it exactly, but it's, you know, people will forget what you say. They might remember what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And that's what storytelling does. And think about through this time of the pandemic that, you know, when everything was shut down and the world was shut down and we weren't allowed to, you know, see each other in person, what did we turn to? We turned to music, we turned to books, we turned to art, we turned to television, we turned to film, all of these things. We all turned to sourdough baking. (laughs) Oh, sourdough baking. Yeah, 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 right? (laughs) What do all of these things have in common? They tell a story. A song tells a story. A piece of art tells a story. A book is a story. A film, TV show, all of that is storytelling. And so I think the difference um, between just paying a lobbyist to, you know, go onto the hill and, and, and meet with, um, you know, leaders, really uh, the grassroots success is that human to human storytelling tug on the emotional heartstrings connection. And that's what makes it effective because we're all human and we all have emotions. Some of us have less than others. (laughs) Some of us have more than others. But no matter how hard somebody claims they are, they're still a human and they still have a heart and you can still reach out to them. And those are the things that bridge language divides, culture divides, religious divides, geographic divides, socioeconomic divides. It's that storytelling and that human-to-human connection. And that's what makes our grassroots grassroots efforts successful. In terms of actually fostering that grassroots, how do you go out identifying and energizing the right members, finding the people who would actually be interested and um, will actually have and will take the time to go out there and do this? I think that's member to member. You know, there's only so much that a, a staff member can encourage and and. Um, you know, ask of the member base to do, it's really got to come from member to member, you know, and I think developing strong boards, uh, whether they're your association board, your chapter board within, within your membership base, but having that, that strong member leadership program does it itself. Now you got to foster it. And as staff members, we all have to, you know, our members look to staff to, to be the experts in, you know, association leadership, but I'm not a theater educator, so I'm not an expert in theater education. So it's up to me to help and guide and provide the resources so that the members have what they need to be successful with their grassroots efforts. But again, it's it's member to member rallying and support. And we see that through social media. We see that through our higher logic, through our community, through our online community. And then we're starting to see it slowly come back with in-person events. 
Uh, I just came back from our British Columbia Provincial Thespian Festival. It was their first in-person event uh, since February 2020. They were actually the very last in-person event before the world shut down. So we're starting to see that, and that's helpful for us to get out from behind these screens, from behind these monitors, see each other in person again. That's helping to rally that momentum to build back up those those advocacy efforts that, uh, you know, we've been working on for, for so many years. Do you actually provide any training or guidance or other materials? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So every year, uh, well, what we had started pre-pandemic, um, every other year, uh, we sponsored a, a national theater education advocacy event. And this was an event in Washington, D.C., where we brought our members together and we provided a day or two worth of training. So we bring in guest speakers, we would uh, sponsor workshops and put together informational resources, uh, you know, member packets, swag bags, those kind of things that had all the tools and resources in them uh, that would prepare them on the final day to actually go and advocate on the Hill and meet and meet with their representatives. Uh, We have a whole section of our website, you go to schooltheater.org, we have an advocacy leadership, a rapid response advocacy center. This is where we've got templates for letters that you can use to write to your representatives, uh, press kits, uh, bill information. So we do provide all of those resources to our members and then training on how to advocate. We partner with um, our Americans for the Arts organization that a lot of our arts organizations belong to, sort of like an ASAE for associations. We've got our Americans for the Arts, and that's our our, our arts-specific association. Um, and every year they put on a National Arts Action Summit that used to be in person in D.C. It's now virtual as well. And we capitalize on those tools that they provide uh, for members as well. So So, yeah, everything from trainings, whether they be in-person or virtual, to online uh, toolboxes and resources, and then, of course, the the community and social media forums. Um, So talking about community, you do have a really robust online community. and We think we actually worked with you to make a really fun video about your community. Yeah. Um, Since your community is so active, has that played a part in all of your grassroots initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's where, I mean, we as staff members get to monitor that every single day um, and see what our members are talking about. And you go through our membership, you go through our community and you'll see anything from, hey, I'm doing uh, Wizard of Oz. How did you make the Wicked Witch melt? (laughs) And, you know, members will respond with how they did that on limited budgets or extravagant budgets. And you'll see things like I've got, uh, you know, six people in my drama program this year, three guys and three girls. What plays do you have to recommend for that? Two, my school board superintendent just passed a XYZ policy that is going to restrict what we're doing and I need help. How do I talk to, what do I do? And it is truly remarkable to see how members come to each other's aid and assistance with advice and support 
I'll also say we have a really strong emeritus community. So even after a theater teacher has retired and moved on from teaching in the classroom, they remain incredibly active in our community through providing assistance and advice. We use the Mentor Match platform uh, through Higher Logic that provides a one-to-one mentor communication, uh, mentor relationship between a new member or an experienced member or an experienced member and an experienced member. It may be a teacher who's been in the classroom for 20 years, but maybe they've never directed a musical and they want to learn how to develop a musical. So they'll reach out through the Mentor Match platform uh, to do that. But we also have a really strong teaching artist segment of our membership base. So these are people who are not in the classrooms, but they're industry professionals that teach workshops and do master classes either at events or directly at the schools themselves. And they're highly involved and engaged in our community as well. And then one more member segment, which are our exhibitors, sponsors, and advertisers who are also active. So, uh, you know, let's say somebody is doing a production of uh, Disney's Newsies and they've got questions about the licensing or Uh, You know, hey, I don't have enough boys to put on Newsies. Am I allowed to substitute girls into the roles? And we've got representatives from Disney Theatrical Group that will respond to that inquiry directly in the member forum. So, yeah, you see all segments of our membership involved in that forum, and that's made it incredibly successful. For winding down a little bit. Um, because I do feel like I could sit here and just chat about this. Yeah, wow. The time has flown by, Beth. This is incredible. (laughs) I haven't looked at the clock once since we've been talking, but since you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, Yeah, I I was like, oh, I should (laughs) wind this up a bit. So for all of our association membership and marketing viewers and listeners, what would you say are the top three tips Mm. for getting members to really and truly care about something? Top three tips to care about something. Well, I think one is we as association professionals have to listen first and foremost. You got to listen, which means you got to provide the avenues for which to listen. So that might be social media. Pay attention to what's happening in your social media platforms. Pay attention to social media platforms that aren't yours. There's a under, not underground, it is a, a, a private Facebook group that is high school theater teachers that is not run by us, that is not moderated by the association. But we all became members of it because there was so much good, robust discussion that was happening in that discussion group. So find those other places that your members are having those conversations and listen if you have a community, if you have an online community, whether it be through Higher Logic or another platform, uh, one of the hard and fast rules that we've really tried to abide by is not to provide staff um, involvement in the community discussions to really let them be member led and member driven. Because you find that as soon as a staff member responds, it tends to kill the dialogue. It tends to kill the conversation um, rather than crowdsourcing from, from their peers, from their members. So listening, providing the opportunity for them to, to share their feedback, 
and then tell your story. You know, even if you're even if you're not a theater based or arts based organization, your members have a story to tell. Find out what that story is and tell it. Tell it in every opportunity, in every avenue, in every place uh, that you possibly can, because you've got a story to tell and uh, people want to listen to that. So share it. I like this. This is my last question, but absolutely not least. I ask all of our guests this. What are the three most important ways to engage members? And it can be broad or it can be specific tactics. It's up to you. But in your mind, what are the three most important ways to engage members? One, giving them a place to engage in. So whether that's online, in person, through social media, the email, through studies, whatever it might be, but give your members a place to uh, be seen and to be heard. Number two, utilize your, you, you have stakeholders who are engaged that have money and resources. There are companies out there um, that are involved and invested in the success of your membership base. And in these times where we, as the association, as the nonprofit ourselves, are struggling financially, there are for-profit companies out there that are invested in, in the success of your members. Don't be afraid to lean on them in these times to provide the resources uh, to engage, inspire, and uh, support your member base. And gosh, I mean, I feel like these tips sort of really are similar to and overlap and integrate with the last three. Again, it's it's listening. It's listening to them. So host the town hall. Get your board members involved. Uh, you as staff members, get out there and get involved and amplify their voices in every way that you possibly can. And try to find those pockets of your membership base that typically don't get heard, may not be as loud as some of the others, because uh, every member voice is important and every member voice needs to be heard. Okay, I'm going to have to wrap up. and I hate that. I would love to sit and talk sometime. One of these days we'll get in, together in person and just sit and talk about the stuff over drinks. We can get really like, really get into the weeds. So That um, would be great. I'd love that. Yeah. yeah. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I had a great time talking with you. For everybody who is listening or watching, thank you for taking the time out. Um, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and to sign up for the Association Marketing Pros newsletter. And um, we look forward to seeing everybody again next week. <laughs>